0: If anybody has ever told you that it's easy to lose weight, (laughs) this episode is going to completely contradict anything they've ever said. And if you personally have struggled with weight loss, or maybe you've struggled with sticking to a healthy eating plan or a healthy exercise regimen, whatever it is, and can't figure out why you can't make breakthroughs why you're not seeing results or why you can't stick to something long term today's episode is going to blow your mind seriously like mind blown i sat down with a mental health counselor his name is kenneth coffer and he really helps people who struggle with identity conflicts and today's topic we really honed in on how our identity and these identity conflicts we have with ourselves influence our eating habits, how they influence how we see food, how we see our body image. And we really get in depth with how a lot of us are living our lives on autopilot, where we're eating a certain way and we're doing these certain behaviors in relation to food without even realizing it. And we can't figure out why we can't break certain habits or why we can't cultivate better habits. And it's because of these things that have happened to us in our past that become habitual, but we don't actually realize that they're there. Is that crazy? Is that a little bit woo-woo for you guys to try to hang in there with me? Ken does a lot better at explaining it than I do, but basically we have these subconscious beliefs and we have these weird rules around food that might have stemmed from our childhood or adolescence or from early experiences, and oftentimes we don't take the time to realize that we have these rules in place or that we have these beliefs in place, and that is... Influences the choices that we make as adults. And for a lot of people, these things that happen to us as children or things that happen to us at the dinner table as adolescents stay dormant for years and don't resurface until we're adults and we are reinvited into that space that we experienced as children. And it can be very, very frustrating for people to be like, why can't I see results? When actually it just takes a little bit of self-awareness and self-discovery to figure out where it's all coming from. So guys, strap in, enjoy this episode. It is so insightful. I learned a ton. We used examples from real life clients and from our own lives, and I cannot wait to start using some of the things that Ken taught me in my own practice what is up? Welcome to the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. My name is Kate, registered dietitian and emotional eating coach. Each episode, I will bring you a motivational message or an inspiring guest to help you make informed nutrition decisions that fuel your life, not restrict it. Whether you are new to the podcast or an OG listener, thanks for spending this time with me today. Now, let's get into it. into today's interview, I just wanted to put a little PSA out there, a little dietitian PSA for anyone who feels guilty about turning to food whenever she feels sad. It's totally normal to want to turn to food to comfort you when you're feeling depressed or stressed, bored, lonely. It's a quick, easy comfort. However, the problem is if we're doing this on a daily or weekly basis, and we're overeating junk food that doesn't serve our health goals, it can really get in the way of us making a permanent health change. Let's say you want to lose some weight, or you want to improve your blood sugars, you want to prevent chronic disease, you just want to feel more energized. Well, emotional eating can really get in the way of achieving those goals. If you're not sure if you're an emotional eater, and you're not really sure what the signs and symptoms are, I put a little link to a free quiz in the show notes, the emotional eating quiz, to not only help you identify if you fit the bill of what we would consider an emotional eater, but also help you figure out the specific things you're doing that contribute to you being an emotional eater. Because if you can become self-aware, that's the first step of overcoming any kind of self-sabotaging behavior. So go take that quiz, go figure out if you are an emotional eater and what you're doing that you can start working on to change today. That is go.orlandodietitian.com backslash emotional eating. The link is in the show notes. And we're live, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Awareness Podcast. I am with a special guest today, and we are recording face-to-face live from the Nutrition Awareness Office. He is a mental health counselor named Kenneth. Kenneth, will you introduce yourself to listeners and give them an idea of who you are and what you're all about?
1: Yeah, sure thing, Kate. So, I've been a mental health counselor for about three years now, located close by in the downtown area near where we're filming off Corrin Drive, my practice is called Cornerstone Counseling. You know, a lot of the main concerns I deal with and I guess my my best clients who I do my best work with are people who struggle in some way with an identity conflict where there's really like parts of themselves that aren't quite matching up and they feel either depressed or anxious about this and... It goes back a lot of times to stuff that happened, earlier experiences, centered around stuff that happened earlier on in their family. And so that's who I do my best work with. But one of the things I've seen more and more people coming in is when they have, why we're here today, an unhealthy relationship with food, a lot of times it goes back to those earlier family experiences. And they don't always make these connections, and that leads them to sort of frustration with these projects they have, these uh, ways they want to get healthy, but keep running again and again into the same sorts of barriers and aren't always sure why. So we're here to talk a bit more about that today.
0: Yeah, I am really, really excited for this episode because I see this in my practice as well. People have these certain automatic behaviors and beliefs about food and their relationship with their food or maybe their body image and when you and i were talking when we first met a few weeks ago we got into this conversation about how a lot of these things that we believe about ourselves and our relationship to food and our You know, you you said it as unconscious sabotaging behaviors that we have towards our diet and our health often stem from childhood. And they're things that maybe don't really stick out to us like we'd imagine they would. And so we got into this really great conversation, and I was like, Ken, you gotta come on the show. We gotta talk about this stuff in depth a little bit. So you were telling me about what really inspired your decision to become a therapist will you share that with the audience because I think it's really cool
1: yeah sure thing so came into it in a sort of very um, roundabout way um, I was very much for for many many years like an academic <laughs> and I was a liberal arts professor at a, a four-year university quaint University in um, northeastern United States Connecticut and just eventually just realized this was not the career for me. I didn't like it that much and was reading a a book I picked up and it was centered around sort of how these earlier family experiences can lead to like problematic behaviors. And it was by this Canadian philosopher of all people, John Russon and that book and the way he talks about these early family experiences and how they impact us later in life and the ways that all starts to happen really inspired my decision to look into new careers and then eventually settle on becoming a, a mental health counselor and so went back to school for training in that so that I could branch off and start this new career path.
0: <laughs> that is it always fascinates me when people find something else that is more of their calling. Was it something really specific about his work and his philosophy that, you know,
1: resonated with you specifically? A lot of it was, well, I always liked that, the way uh, that style of thinking that he does, but he bought it so much more like down to earth mm. and how this really speaks to like a lot of practical human concerns that, and struggles that a lot of us go through at, at different points in our lives. And when I was able to see and like make those connections, I felt like I had like a basis for branching off into this new career and so more on point of what we're talking about today is he speaks a lot about how eating and our practices around eating as one of those concerns. Mm. And so when Kate you were asking me to, you know, come in and well, what can we talk about with this, you know, podcast, I had this idea that if we could start off with some of the things he says about eating as a way to sort of launch into what we're going to talk about today and that's these family conflicts and identity conflicts and how they can lead to an unhealthy relationship with food
0: yeah okay so there's a specific passage that you Mm -hmm. pulled out Mm -hmm. can you kind of to better illustrate that point for anybody who might be wondering a little bit more about the specifics of this philosopher will you kind of share that passage with listeners so they can really see what you mean about Mm -hmm. these you know, the self-identity and these conflicts that we have and how that relates to yeah. our eating practices. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure thing. So a big point of his is none of us really live in isolation. We're Hopefully. always <laughs> Yeah. We're always in, in some way or another with others, even when we're by ourselves. And so basic human activities he talks about like eating and sleeping, they have a specific meaning for us as individuals in our lives that is, by its very nature, social. Mm. So, he speaks specifically about how our own identity as a, as a social being, as a social creature, becomes intertwined with the ways we eat, the practices we have around eating, So, like, some examples I have written down here is, like, we all had family dinner rules growing up, Mm -hmm. right? There were things a lot of times our parents told us, and so, like, a common one for our listeners that may resonate with them a lot of times is maybe at some point your parents told you, well, you can't leave the dinner table unless you clear your plate. That is a big one. I know that was me, too, Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, and so if you think about that message you received during those early family interactions and if that was constantly reinforced again and again and again to you right it leaves you with a certain view of what eating means right what food means what this time we're sitting around communally at the dinner table means and thinking about more carefully that means it's like when you finish your meal you're free from family interaction now you can go (laughs) Mm. so if you keep hearing that message again and again and again You're gonna associate freedom from family interaction with eating a lot of food. Now you can go. (laughs) Yeah, wait,
0: that is is a perfect example because I hear that all the time from clients when we start to go back and figure out like, why do you feel like you always need to finish your plate? Why can't you walk away with a little food on your plate? Mm -hmm. One of the biggest reasons is because, well, as a kid, we were just expected to finish our plate. We couldn't leave the dinner table until everything was gone. Or maybe they couldn't have dessert or maybe they didn't get recreation time or couldn't use the computer or whatever it might be until they were able to finish their plate. And so that could be a negative consequence. But I also like to think on the positive side, Mm -hmm. and there can be a lot of positive family interactions that happen at the dinner table that can result in positive eating behaviors. Mm -hmm. Being able to serve yourself seems like something really great, or maybe freedom from electronics where you actually play a game or get to enjoy family time. Mm -hmm. So maybe an individual that had a positive family dynamic and really enjoyed dinner time and really liked that experience might have a better relationship with food and mm-hmm. eating than maybe someone who just didn't want to be around their family at all or had all these strict rules and, and found it to be kind of a dreadful experience in their day. Mm-hmm. Would, am I on the right track? Would that make sense? Yeah,
1: and I, I like the point you mentioned about rules. Yeah. Because oftentimes what we'll see is later in in life, we get these rules from our family starting off, but eventually they we take them on as our own, mm. right? so the family structure let's say right uh, a young adulthood middle age when we start to launch and get outside that family structure and develop our own identity which is a lot of the clients i work with those rules start to operate on their own Mm. regardless of whether the family still reinforces them at that later time period in our lives so i like the way you mentioned that they they become rules and a lot of times these rules were not always so aware of them Mm -hmm. and they feed into these eating habits without us really knowing and so it's worthwhile to take the time to look at what these rules are from we gain from these early family relationships and what they mean in terms of our relationship with food
0: Can I ask you, you know, what kind of rules maybe you've heard from your own clients or maybe some that you've had in your own life that you can think of or rules around food that you had that stemmed from childhood?
1: Sure. Yeah. And here's so like another common one is maybe your your parents that sometimes it's happened with me, like would send you on a guilt trip around food. And so one of those was maybe, you know, sometimes we're reminded it's like, well, there's starving children in Africa. Oh, yes. (laughs) Right. And so you you need to finish what's on your plate. There's people in the world, like right now, who are going hungry, right? So you need to to finish this. And later in my life, when I was reflecting on that, I was like, how is that at all my fault? Right? And it makes you feel like it's your fault. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel like you have to go against your body's natural
0: hunger cues that tell you to stop, or maybe your taste preferences that tell you you don't want to eat whatever that might be, Mm -hmm. just because... Of something you can't help and it almost sounds when i say that out loud i can feel my own guilt from that from my childhood too because i've <laughs> as that rolls off my tongue i'm like thinking to myself I'm like why would you say such a horrible thing but it's so true it's like we were guilted into thinking well you know and I, here's another situation that might be a little bit more close to home where I went to school they used to bus in children from lower socioeconomic areas so I grew up in St. Louis and I lived in the suburbs and they would bus kids in from the inner city who maybe didn't have as much money for lunch and so they would get different lunches sometimes or we, we just all kind of knew they were on a program and I remember feeling bad about being able to to get all of the extra things on my lunch tray I could pick up the chips and stuff at the end of the of the lunch line and not just get the basic USDA guideline stuff and then if I didn't want to eat it right then I still felt bad because I was like oh like I get to eat these things like so and so doesn't and I can see how that guilt has followed me into adulthood because I still have to really remind myself, like, Kate, just because you served yourself this much food doesn't mean you have to eat it. doesn't mean it's going to go to waste if you throw a quarter of your plate away. Mm-hmm. So that follows a lot of people around. And I know, speaking to clients, a lot of them have to re-parent themselves or retrain themselves to to forgive themselves for not eating everything on their plate at once. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so it speaks to how there's there's a an emotional sense yeah. involved with this and these early family interactions, how a lot of how they come to like show themselves in the present is through some sort of emotion. And that could be anxiety, that could mm. be sadness, that could be some sort of shame or, or guilt. And so like by the time these individuals end up in my office sitting across from me in therapy, <laughs> it's not always so clear, right? how these messages impact them now, but they are certainly living them out in some sort of emotional way. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to, all of these examples are coming into my head right now of people that have told me stories that have started from either their early childhood or adolescence. Mm -hmm. I had this one client who came in and she could remember that her sister was heavier than her and her dad and mom, not her dad, her mom would always make comments to her sister about her, her weight. And even though it was directly targeted towards her sister and it wasn't directly targeted towards her, she still picked up on a lot of these feelings and they have followed her into adulthood. And now she feels shame and guilt about her weight because of her mom's words, even though they weren't directly towards her, it was just this whole association that that she had made its childhood is, oh, to get mom's love, I need to be a certain weight, I need to stay this thin, I need to stay this certain body size. Mm-hmm. And now that she has gotten older and she's had kids and the body just naturally changes, she's had a really hard time adjusting to that, even though she never had issues with food or body image before, but now that you know her body's changing hormonally, she's had children, she's gone through life experiences, all of that stuff even 30 years later is coming back up and it's hard to deal with because It's almost like her subconscious mind is just wired to associate shame with weight gain because of what she heard her mom say.
1: Mm -hmm. And I'll see very similar things where I always try to introduce it to clients in in this way. It's like these beliefs, these rules you have about food, they can remain dormant like a volcano until later in life you're going through some transition like this lady you mentioned and it's kind of what we call a triggering event. And that brings all this up to the surface and it can be really overwhelming. And we're really not sure where these, this overwhelm is is coming from until we go back and explore those connections. And so for her, what I hear from that, it's like she made some association in her brain between social approval from one or both parents and body image relationship with food Mm. and so that connection when it surfaces again it can be really yeah overwhelming for a person and they may not always like make those those connections it sounds like this lady was maybe pretty insightful to be able to see that pattern
0: (laughs) yeah she, she was really good at able and really good and able to work through it when you hear something like that what kind of general advice would you give that woman you know or maybe if there's somebody listening mm-hmm. who has something similar what kind of advice would you give them to help them work through those doormat or you know is it dormant i can't pronounce things yeah, doormat dormant, doormat, 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 doormat. Uh, those experiences that happened when they were younger how would you help them
1: work through those now i always try to encourage at least the the clients i've seen who struggle with this to take an attitude of curiosity towards that those um those ideas and these feelings and when they come up, it's easy to get overwhelmed or stressed or anxious, and just instead of having that emotional response, if you pause and look at this say, okay, where is this coming from right now? Right. So where is this feeling of overwhelm that I have about, let's say, my body image that's happened and is coming out now later in life? It's almost like you sort of play detective. <laughs>
0: mm, I love that. Wait, I think that's
1: brilliant because I've tried to explain that to people, too.
0: Instead of almost victimizing yourself by reacting to whatever it is and feeling bad for yourself or throwing a pity party of like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gaining weight and I feel so bad about myself, blah, blah, blah. No, no, take a step back and, and start to ask the real questions that are going to progress you forward, saying, why do I put so much emphasis on my self-worth based on my weight? Why do I feel like I need to finish my plate? Why do why can't I walk away from a plate of food? And next time I eat, what can I do to help me work through whatever it is that I'm I'm struggling with? Because then you're being proactive and you're coming from a place that isn't ju- you know that doesn't have self-judgment and you're not criticizing yourself because the more we put ourselves down, the more we seem to dig ourselves in these holes of, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't achieve whatever goal it is because this, this, and this. No, I love what you're saying is approach the situation from a place of curiosity and playing that self-detective with yourselves and trying to understand why do I have these beliefs? Why do I do what I do? And then what can I do to change them? What can I do to be better? Mm-hmm. And that just really takes away of the a lot of the judgment that we put on ourselves because, I'm sure you see this too. I see a lot of people put themselves down in this office. They'll tell me, oh, you know, I just, I can't, I'm a failure. I always, I can't not do it. I can't not do this. I can't lose weight. I can't, whatever the reason is, they just put themselves down. It's like, no, 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 let's nix out that self negative self talk. And approach it from a place of curiosity and acceptance
1: mm-hmm. yeah and it, it's easy to to try and say oh well just stop
0: yeah oh <laughs> right? if, all, if it was that
1: easy <laughs> right. we hear this a, a lot as a society, society just you know sometimes uh, just just cut it out you know why can't you change this and actually you remember what it, it brings to mind I don't know if anyone's seen the um the television show this is us and there's that one lady on there who really struggles with her weight and her body image concerns and I actually remember I had a a family member who actually came to me and said I don't understand it why can't this lady just lose weight Mm. I'm just like well you know realize that there's a lot that goes into this relationship that she has with food and if you watch that show it goes back to a lot of the the earlier experiences she's had with grieving and and the death of her father that feeds into this, this unhealthy relationship that she has with food. And I lean in that show she actually takes the time to explore some of where that comes from. That's kind of the thing I'll encourage my clients to do is that standpoint of curiosity, because if we're constantly going on, I guess what I call like attention autopilot <laughs> and just going through the motions Making these, for instance, self-critical statements like, I'm not good, "I'm I'm a failure, pausing to explore where those comes from, I see it as like you're still looking at the same thing, but you're putting a different frame around it. You're looking at it from a different place, this place of curiosity rather than from this kind of shaming self-judgment that unfortunately is we see it's very typical in our society when it comes to food and lots of other activities.
0: Oh yeah, and when you said that, what did you say, self-automation, we're living on autopilot? Yeah,
1: on autopilot. Mm -hmm.
0: I feel like a lot of people's negative self-talk and their negative views about themselves and these negative things that they say to themselves in their head all day long Are also on autopilot. They don't even realize that that's the kind of conversations that they're having with themselves. They don't realize that they're constantly putting themselves down because they're just so used to speaking and thinking of themselves in that lens. Mm -hmm. So it's brilliant to ask someone to say, hey, like, why do you think that? Where is this coming from? Where is this belief about yourself coming from? How can you be better? How can you change that? I think that's brilliant. And when you were talking about the character from This Is Us, so I'll admit I'm not as familiar with that show, but I think I know which character you're talking about. And you were explaining to your family member that, yeah, our relationship with food is a lot more than just eat less, do more. I mean, because if it was that easy, if it was as easy as calories in, calories out, uh, the weight loss industry and all of these diet pills and fat loss programs and things like that would not be the billion dollar trillion dollar industry that it is right it has so much to do with our inner inner identity our self-identity i work with a lot of people who struggle with using food for comfort when they're feeling sad about something and that's just a very very generic example when they feel x they eat y you know, mm-hmm. they use food as a comfort because it distracts them for themselves it, or, you know, distracts them from the anxiety they're feeling or from the negative thoughts and food feels good. It tastes good. And I try to tell people, I'm like, okay, instead of feeling bad about that, instead of blaming your body or blaming yourself for wanting to eat, think of it as this is your body's way of looking out for you. This is your body's response of taking care of you. Your body, your mind doesn't want you to feel these negative feelings. It knows that food makes you feel good so it drives you to eat to take care of you it's it's kind of a positive thing and when you can say it like that it helps people say oh like okay it makes them look at themselves from a place of self-compassion and then we'll explore well when you were a child Getting food was easy. Food was a quick, accessible way to comfort yourselves because as children, you only have access to so many ways to cope with things, some people more than others. Or maybe they had a parent that they would observe who would cope with food. Or every time something bad happened, mom would say, oh, it's okay, let's get ice cream. You know, oh, you didn't, you lost the soccer game. That's okay, let's go get pizza. Uh, in a similar vein on the flip side though it's if something really awesome happened and they would celebrate with food was food always something that you associated with positive feelings and celebration could you never have any sort of recreational activity without food so there are so many things that you can explore from an emotional standpoint that rooted is rooted in childhood Mm -hmm. that started at childhood Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and when those associations form and just as you mentioned that I kind of because we're touching a lot of upon a lot of the themes of this example that the author I was mentioning earlier goes into. So maybe we have a good time to launch in and discuss that. Yeah,
0: totally. Okay. So you have a, a passage from mm-hmm. the book. So the author is John Russin. Did I pronounce that right? Mm-hmm. Right. So kind of explain to the audience the passage that you picked out that you feel like is really, really important for them to to hear.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So it's mostly a a fictitious but very plausible example that speaks a lot to a lot of our concerns around um, food and eating and how a lot of these earlier family interactions and identity stuff can feed into those. And so he's speaking here, we could consider it almost like a case study, about this individual and his project is he desires to lose weight but there's a lot of social approval that's going into that. So fairly successful in in other areas of his life but he's struggling to stick to his diet during the evening hours and a lot of us maybe have been there it's like okay now it's like yeah i want to go get the ice cream or open the bag of potato chips can we give this guy a name (laughs) sure Uh, let's call him phil phil okay (laughs) so phil phil is struggling with adhering to his diet during the later evening hours, and it becomes a temptation to engage in these unhealthy eating habits during these later hours in the evening. So rewind to his earlier family life. His parents were pretty demanding and controlling, and they didn't really give him a lot of freedom to take his own initiative, which one of the things they teach us in mental health counseling is during early childhood, five, six, seven, that's really important that parents provide a child with space to do that, Mm. right? To take their own initiative and start to figure things out on their own. So not really having that freedom. And another big theme here is his parents. They're constantly reinforcing to him how they're failing to, for him to meet their expectations. So it happens where they've set the bar pretty high. And whenever he doesn't, Right, meet or exceed those expectations his parents constantly reinforce this to him so but when he's sitting at the dinner table right, this produces some sort of inner conflict with him but when he's sitting there he can accomplish something so he can clear his plate and he can and learns to take some pleasure in that as opposed to this displeasure this pain that's always reinforced when well Phil you didn't meet our expectations again and this message he constantly receives from his parents. So, eventually he'll come to view himself as incompetent and later in life the meaning behind this understanding he has of food shifts and he says, I don't need to associate this with my parents anymore. I can go eat privately and gain this pleasure from, right? let's say, clearing my plate or eating this bag of potato chips later in the evening and gain some sort of enjoyment with that privately, independent of what these earlier family interactions that he had. So that's contributing to his dieting struggles in the here and now. And so eating, it serves a a function for him. Mm. It has a purpose. When he eats late in this evening, it contributes to his sense of independence. He feels competent, like he's accomplished something. And that speaks to, like, this unmet childhood need that he didn't get from his parents. So through this eating habit, it's his freedom, his own autonomy. It takes on a new meaning, a new shape, a new character. And when he eats, it's an expression of that freedom. Mm. So now let's think about what he does when he actually tries to restrict this through dieting, Mm. right? Set limits on that freedom, right? he starts to feel incompetent again. Mm. And so he experiences this desire to eat, right, limits it through dieting, and then feels incompetent, right, and it keeps on going around in a circle. It's a cycle that never ends. Mm -hmm. He tries to put rules on himself. Mm -hmm. He feels bad because
0: he can't stick with them, and then Mm -hmm. boom, boom, boom.
1: Yeah, and so he'll keep repeating this same project of eat, diet, eat, diet, eat, diet, Again and again and again, and there's this contradiction in it. It's where he's unconsciously sabotaging the project in the first place, and unless he finds a way to stick the wrench in the gears (laughs) and break this cycle, it's going to keep happening. goes back to the point of why can't you just stop right why can't you just cut it out and change your behaviors we need to understand and connect these past family relationships social relationships in these kinds of cases and their influence they have on the way we eat so when i see these clients in therapy and it's not always about food right so but as just one example, you need awareness and insight to be able to make those connections. Otherwise, you won't develop these new habits, mm. or maybe that's a bit extreme, but it becomes a lot more difficult
0: Yeah. to do. <laughs> wow, I just think that that example really just shed a lot of light on the complexities of why diets don't work, right? I mean, we hear that all the time, but we get a little bit numb to that mm-hmm that expression and the reason we see some people you know out there saying like well of course it's just calories in calories out well they probably don't have these same complexities and struggles and unconscious beliefs about food and they they just have something uh, maybe a simpler relationship with food for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. and so when they see somebody else struggling with sticking to an eating plan and struggling to stick to something Nobody's even thinking, well, what happened when this person was younger? What was going on? What's their relationship with food like? And I agree with you. When we can really be self-aware about our eating behaviors and what caused them, then that's the first step to rewiring your brain, for lack of a better term, and Mm -hmm. changing for the best so you can actually achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve and improve your relationship with food and eating. Mm -hmm. I think that passage is amazing. And I love how you had had wrote here on the notes here that willpower – is not enough right just like what's the i've heard really ignorant phrases before like just put the donut down you know just Mm -hmm. stop eating okay sure that's like yeah that would make sense but it's not that easy for somebody just like it might not be easy for someone to stop another way of coping Whether that's from gambling or from smoking, whatever that might be. It's not just easy to put the cigarette down and people can easily be like, oh, it's the nicotine. Well, yeah, but there's probably other emotional connections to the feeling of smoking and that high that people get from having a cigarette. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And so it it expands into other areas that I'll see with clients about how it's ways that we struggle to form new habits Mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. And eating is just one area, one domain, one expression where that can happen. So more broadly, it's that when we find ourselves repeating the same kind of behavior again and again and caught in one of these vicious cycles that we can't seem to break, starts to speak to a point there's a lot more going on underneath the, the surface there that needs to get brought out and, as you mentioned, we need to become self-aware of in order for genuine growth to occur.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Agreed. I have a question for you and let me kind of think how I would ask this. So it sounds like the first step is okay. Looking back on our past experiences and figuring out where it's coming from, but the way I practice and tell me if I, I should do something different here is let's, let's acknowledge that. Let's, identify it know that it happened but let's not really dwell in that place let's try to grow and move forward and focus on what can we do now and in the future mm-hmm. to change so instead of you know really harping on that past childhood experience and really trying to break it down not focusing on that so much but focusing on the the future
1: mm-hmm. yeah and so what will we can do on that note is it's a way of trying to Look at that situation differently. Mm. So really trying to, working on how can we develop a new meaning,
0: Mm.
1: a new sort of expression or way of looking at this same kind of interaction. Curiosity, we mentioned, is one of those ways that you'll view it rather than getting feeling guilt or shame or stress over this. If you look at it from a place of curiosity, you'll notice the it still isn't it hasn't changed, right? And there's a part of acceptance in that, like we can't always go back and change a lot of what's happened in our past, but we can develop new ways of looking at these same situations that don't make them as overwhelming, where they don't lead to us getting stuck in these same old patterns. And that's when we're actually able to start breaking out of them, right? when we develop a new, yeah, a new, a new meaning around what it is that's happened to us in our past. So I look at it a lot of ways, like, um, it's a lot like storytelling, right? We need some new story for you in order for you to grow and move past these experiences you've had.
0: Love that. Rewrite your story and rewrite the meaning of this, or not rewrite it per se, but look at your story from a different point of view. I think that's awesome. I think that's really important too, because so many of us hold on to things that happened to us in our past, whether they're related to our diet, body image, our relationships, our career, and we really let it weigh us down. And we talk about that in an episode too, where we let these things just make us feel heavy. We let these past experiences just drag us down and keep us from moving forward, but when we can take a step back and figure out how can we reframe this happening, this event, this Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it to make it something positive, how can we just let it go and lighten up a little bit and then move forward with us? Because I see a lot of times with people who are trying to achieve a health goal and we'll just use weight loss because that's the majority of what my clients are trying to achieve they have something, whether it's a belief or a story or an event or a trauma that is weighing them down and keeping them from really actually making progress. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So uh, similar to a point you mentioned, because I like that you you went into some metaphors for what that experience is like. That's something I'll do in session with clients. And let's mm-hmm. say, so like someone comes to me and say, all these concerns, can they feel so heavy? Mm-hmm. And so I'll say, okay, heavy like weights, right? Is it, where do you feel the heaviness? What's that heaviness like? And it's like a weight on my chest. So we'll go and explore that kind of metaphor as a way for me as their counselor or therapist to gain insight into what their experience is like. So when I hear those things, that's for me like, okay, you're inviting me into your own experience in order for me to get some glimpses of, what this struggle is actually like for you, Mm. right? And then so from there, I can pose a question, like going along with that kind of metaphor of weight and and heaviness of, okay, so what would it look like, right? What would change for you if this were to be a lot lighter, Mm. right? If instead of, for instance, like weights around your ankles dragging you down what would it be like to break free from those chains and a lot of time that ex- inspires growth because one it's okay this person gets me right they've picked up on my clients won't go this route but how it works is they've picked up on right this person sitting across from me has picked up on like this cue I've given them and we're just gonna take that and run with it and so now I feel understood now I feel validated in in my concerns, if it goes well. And we're able to shift that function from something heavy to something light. And what would that look like? And so when I pose that sort of question in a very open way, people start setting their own goals. Mm, yeah, because it forces them to look at it from a new angle. and mm-hmm. forces them to
0: experience how freeing it could be to to let it go. Mm-hmm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Ken, I think this interview and this conversation has taught me a lot. I feel like it's very inspirational and I really hope that anybody listening feels a new sense of hope because that's always my goal of, you know, if you ever feel bad that you can't stick to a diet or you feel like you can't stick to an exercise routine, take some time to, would you recommend people journal things out or talk it out? How would you recommend that somebody really starts their self-exploration to figure out what it is that's keeping them from accomplishing a task or breaking out of a cycle.
1: Yeah, sure. Sometimes it's it's hard for us to adopt that sense of curiosity mm. that I was talking about earlier. And so you mentioned journaling. Just sometimes that's easy an easy way to just sort of get all this out on on paper. Just go with our our stream of thought and that's a way to encourage this kind of exploration of where it is these feelings this relationship with food and the emotions I I have around it and my struggles with it really do come from. And if nothing else, it's very liberating Yeah, just to get all that down on paper.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think that when we can really just release it on paper and like you said the stream of consciousness it really helps us make new connections that maybe we wouldn't have been able to explore if we were just walking around thinking about it so i think that's excellent i you know one final question then we'll wrap this bad boy up if you could give one piece of takeaway advice to somebody who is struggling with their relationship with food or their identities
1: and their beliefs about their food what would that you know piece of advice be I'd, I'd say there's there's a big stigma against seeking therapy in our yeah. culture, and a lot of times immediately some of the the messages with it are things we associate like oh what's so wrong with me, right? Why can't I why can't I just fix this? I must have some sort of flaw that I keep getting caught in these kinds of uh, patterns. Right. And so if you're the sort of person that recognizes and are getting like frustrated or overwhelmed with repeating these same patterns again and again, don't be afraid to, to seek help for it. And, yeah. and seek the, uh, the assistance of a therapist who can really work with you to explore where it is that these, this inner tension and these struggles with, with food and the same habits that we can't just seem to, for whatever reason, break. Don't be afraid to go in and seek some therapy for yourself. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're inherently flawed in in some way. You're just struggling.
0: Yeah. And we all have our struggles. It's part of the human experience. And talking to somebody can only help. Mm -hmm. Well, Ken, thank you again for coming in today. If anybody wants to get in contact with you, how can they they find you? What's the best way?
1: Yeah. So mentioned earlier in the the episode that I have a, a practice... A private practice located right here in downtown Orlando not far from Kate's office where we're recording and that's called cornerstone counseling where I deal with a lot of these kinds of identity struggles that maybe they manifest as eating or in other ways in their lives but that provides individuals who come to me with an opportunity to look into how early family relationships affect their identity now so you can find me at www.cornerstonecounselingorlando.com and from there you can go and find out more about me and my practice the sorts of clients i do my best work with
0: awesome well thank you again and guys feel free to check out ken's work uh website if you ever want to get in touch with him but it's been a pleasure
1: all right thanks kate thank
0: you Thank you for listening. I hope this episode was helpful. For topic requests or to apply to be a featured guest, please email kate at orlandodietitian.com. Want more nutrition awareness? Check out our blog for recipes, nutrition tips and tricks, as well as product recommendations. Our website is www.orlandodietitian.com. Dietitian is spelled D-I-E-T-I-T-I-A-N. This has been Dietitian Kate, and until next time, keep it real and keep it healthy.